This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 181. I think that self-awareness is something that we're not necessarily taught or born with. Um, It's the kind of thing that you have to develop, but the more experiences, the more diverse experiences you have, the more you can tune into that. You build up a habit of noticing and observing yourself as you're having different experiences. And that helps you kind of take data away that allows you to make smarter choices going forward. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Decided that maybe, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks and a young family doesn't necessarily go together. Jared was burned out with long hours and high stress. When we started to do the questionnaire and write everything down, we started our pros and cons list, where we wanted to live and who we wanted to be around and all that stuff. Listen for Jared's story later on in the episode to learn how he used coaching to help him figure out what fits him and actually make the change to work he loves. I ended up with my dream job. This is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. We get to bring on experts like Andy Malinsky, who helps people reach beyond their comfort zone, and people that have pretty amazing stories, like Sarah Hawkins, who we got the pleasure of helping land her dream job by identifying what she really wanted through our Career Change Bootcamp program. These are, these are people that are just like you. They've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. And there are people that are just like our next guest, Avery Roth. Primarily, I am a coach. Most recently, I've been coaching a lot of startup founders as well as individuals on how to pivot in their businesses and lives. So I guess I'd say I'm an expert in transitions. An expert pivoter. Expert pivoter. Exactly. Now, in our conversation, you're going to get to hear where to start to find a role in an organization that fits your values, fits your needs, fits your skills, and your knowledge. And then also, the benefits of building off your experiences to create your career profile, and how analyzing the patterns and trends of the things that you enjoy will help narrow down the next steps in your career change. And by the way, Avery's particularly good at this. Avery is one of the newest additions to the HTYC team. She joins us as a career change coach, and I won't give too much away since you'll learn from her story in this podcast, but before she joined HTYC, she got her start in finance and as a startup strategist. Now, one of the great things about Avery is the way she uses her own career journey to help dig deeper into her clients' career and business goals in a pretty methodical way. And she helps them rein in their focus to achieve what they actually want to achieve, those ideal results, right? And the way I've built up to this is that I, after doing many, many internships in a bunch of different fields throughout high school and college, I ultimately went into finance. And I worked in financial markets as an investor and advisor in the equity market for, I guess, like 10 years or so, at which point I burned out. And ultimately, I realized that I wasn't 
giving airtime to my creative side. And I really needed to do that. Yeah. So I actually took a sabbatical and I enrolled in photography school in Paris and lived out my dream of living in a shoebox in the left bank and practicing my French. And it was perfect, complete with French boyfriend and everything. But that didn't last long. None of it really lasted long because I realized that photography and being a working artist wasn't really going to be in my future. It was more like a release valve, but it did teach me that I wanted to incorporate more creativity into my work and my existence in general. So as I set out to figure out what I wanted to do from that point on, I actually started doing freelance work with some of my former clients from finance, some of my hedge fund clients. So they were either launching new businesses or they were launching new parts of their businesses and they needed help with conceptualizing the product, marketing it, fundraising, figuring out how to structure it. And so as I continue to take on more and more work of this type, I started attracting business from different types of entrepreneurs across industries and built up this expertise in helping startups to start up. Yeah. And it's been really, really cool, really awesome. And eventually I had too much business than I could manage on my own. So I incorporated the business and I created a team, et cetera. And while that's been really interesting and fascinating and it's part of what lights me up, I'm also really fulfilled by helping individuals. So I decided to take on career coaching as my newest, I guess, piece of the puzzle because it allows me to use the skills that I have for maximum impact. So when it started out, and you were taking on some of these internships. At that point, what did you think your future looked like for you? What was the plan at that time? And what were some of those internships as examples? All right. Reach well, way back here. Yeah. I'm going back to age 16 or so to start, even 15 or 16. So I guess what I should say is that in my family, we all kind of had to contribute to the coffers. We didn't come from a particularly, I guess, plentiful financial background. And so... I was starting to do little jobs from when I was in middle school. I remember working in a like ceramic shop where kids would come have parties and kind of like paint on plates and jugs and, you know, little designs. And I would oversee the parties. That was the first job, which I think paid something like $10 an hour, $12 an hour. But for my purposes, it was fine. And I actually got the owner of the ceramic shop to let me babysit for her kids. So it was a twofer. So that was good. Ooh, multi-purpose. Yeah. Two birds, one scone. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa Lewis, for that one. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. I love that. And then I guess I sort of progressed through high school. I started thinking about jobs in a more professional way because some of my peers were taking on internships. And I wanted to start exploring what my actual career would look like. But what was great is that I could build on my prior experience having worked in this little ceramic shop because, you know, I built up some transferable skills that people saw me as being industrious. Yeah, I guess proactive and good with people, etc. So the some of the different internships I did in high school, I worked for the American Cancer Society. I worked in their advocacy business. And I worked in their like business, I guess their financial arm. Yeah. So did a bunch of different things for the American Cancer Society, which not as a nonprofit, I did not find particularly interesting. It was kind of a stale 
working environment, not very stimulating. It also could have been because I was an intern. They didn't give me much interesting work. So then I moved to a cancer hospital and I volunteered in the pediatric unit of a cancer hospital here in New York City. And that's because I guess the link between those things is cancer runs through my family. So it's that's it's what I was going to ask if that was something that was important to you. Yeah, my mom had cancer and she passed away when I was eight. So I've always been a, a huge sort of advocate for cancer research. So I worked in Sloan Kettering in their pediatric unit, which was really hard, as you can imagine, working with little kids that have cancer. Because originally I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And so I um, spent time in the hospital and I realized that actually being in a hospital was not for me. The environment stressed me out. I didn't like the smell of it, like, you know, the medical kind of smell, the environment I felt found really oppressive. And I think it's, we can come back to this later, but I think it's these types of little experiences that can just even be an internship or a little mini experience you have here or there that can really give you a flavor for what it's like to work in a place can help you make a decision much more quickly than you expect. So even the so smell, even, even the smell, the smell. As it yeah, turns out. all your senses, all your senses come into play. So I was going to probably crack a really bad joke about that and it wouldn't have been that funny, but instead I'll say that I actually think that some of those things are incredibly important as you're going along through life, being able to pay attention to not just the things that you don't want, but certainly the things that, you notice along the way are beneficial or helpful to you or give you energy or light you up or whatever it is that completes yeah. you, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that self-awareness is something that we're not necessarily taught or born with. It's the kind of thing that you have to develop, but the more experiences and the more diverse experiences you have, the more you can tune into that. You can, can build up a habit of noticing and observing yourself as you're having different experiences. And that helps you kind of take data away that allows you to make smarter choices going forward. So on that choices part, what made you choose to move into the finance world originally? Because you spent a big chunk of time in the finance world, right? Yeah, mm -hmm, I did. Well, during college, I took on a bunch of other internships that were actually paid. And they were in a number of different industries, including publishing, advertising, Effectively, they were jobs that didn't really stimulate me intellectually and didn't pay very much. And I found myself like as each year went by just feeling really disheartened about the world of work. And <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, is this all there is? I remember one job, I would look forward to my one hour break so I could go to the park and read my book. I remember I was reading Memoirs of a Geisha and I literally would like fight myself from falling asleep during lunch hour and like having to go back to the office and just, Oh, I wanted to shoot myself. It was like so painful. Yeah. So that feeling, like I identified that feeling starting in sophomore year of college. Like I've known what that feels like. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are in that space right now. That, is this really all there is? Oh my God. It is yeah. so torturous. So basically I remember complaining to some of my schoolmates in yeah. college, like, what the heck am I going to do next summer? And one of my friends said, Hey, why don't you try out wall street? It pays double. Like it paid $20 an hour. I was like, Oh my God, how exciting. <laughs> and then I, to be honest, I didn't have any like preconceived notions about wall street. I just kind of got more excited about the fact that I get paid more. And at that time it was a bull market and you know, all the different firms were throwing all kinds of incentives at you. And it felt really like glorified and exciting. So it's like, Hey, I'm going to go do that. 
So that's how I effectively kind of fell into finance. I got a an internship through a friend's parent that was a trader who like made a call for me. I did a one month internship in Boston, like even like a three week internship in Boston, just hanging around the trading floor and seeing what it was like. And I loved the vibe. Like I loved the energy and I loved the money. And I felt like I was constantly learning and that was what I was going for. So that's why I chose finance. Interesting. Interesting. So part of it was just falling into it, right time, right place. Somebody suggested it. But then Mm -hmm. once you got there, you started picking up on some of these things that really were actually really good for you. Yeah. I think a lot of it came down to experimentation. And like you said before, being able to identify what doesn't work so that when something does work, you also know that that's for you. I guess the same could be said about dating, right? Like you have to kiss a lot of frogs to finally find a prince. (laughs) Uh, this is if you're a princess that is i mean yes of course. <laughs> <laughs> well i was just thinking that effectively i barely qualify as Alyssa and i for like high school sweethearts so i was thinking did i avoid all the i did I, how did i get just get past that early and i didn't have to go like kiss uh, a lot of frogs or whatever she didn't have to go kiss a lot of frogs however that works skip go collect two hundred dollars yeah yeah like i monopoly did yeah Nice work. Yes, bonus. So then you did the metaphorical kissing a lot of frogs in terms of your career. But what happened after that? After you got into this role and you were loving some of the vibe, what caused the next change? Well, so I started my full-time career as effectively a stockbroker. I was advising hedge funds on which stocks to buy and sell. And I did that in London. So I started my career in Europe. And I was doing it for about five years. I moved from one firm to the next, in, like in the middle, in order to get a pay raise and a title increase and a better portfolio of clients. But effectively, I was doing the same job for five years. And I just got bored of doing the same thing every day. At least when you're a stockbroker, your days are really regimented. Like you, I would get into the office at 6.45 a.m., not my favorite time of day. And you'd have to be ready to advise institutional investors as to what they should do when the market opens like 45 minutes later. So you're pushing yourself so hard in the morning, you're getting your ideas together, you're filtering them down into investment cases, you're calling, you know, your whole list of clients to let them know what's going on and to give them recommendations as to what they should do for their portfolios. And then the rest of the day, you're kind of sitting at your desk and reading research and looking for stock ideas. And sometimes meeting up with clients and schmoozing them effectively. That's what it boils down to. So while at the beginning of my career, I found that really interesting because there was all this like news flow coming at me from different parts of the world, different industries, all different sectors have an impact on financial markets. So it's just fascinating the different factors that you need to keep track of in order to, you know, maintain an investment view and an investment outlook. But if you're doing it for five years, you're focused on the same markets, you've pretty much come up the learning curve. And now every morning you're coming in and you're kind of like going through the motions of just calling these people again. And you don't really feel like you're learning that much more. To me, when I stop learning, I stop. I'm just not as engaged. So what happened then? I mean, I'm going to try to make a long story short here, but I ended up moving to Brazil because it was a time in the economy when global markets were really strong. And usually when markets are strong, the emerging markets are performing even stronger. So I wanted to experience that, put my money where my mouth was, 
go on the ground and see what that was like. So I moved to Brazil and I worked for a hedge fund there. Ultimately, I moved back to London. There was like a lot of movement overseas back and forth. But eventually in 2011, I hit a wall because I think similarly to what I mentioned before about kind of exhausting the learning curve, even though I had spread my wings and learned a lot more, I sort of felt like I had exhausted the learning curve of equities and hedge funds. Not to say that I was a complete expert, but in terms of the pieces that interested me, I feel like I covered them, covered them pretty comprehensively. And they just didn't stimulate me like they used to. There was no like mystery anymore. There was no like strong, that satisfaction that comes from learning, like at a really rapid pace that had totally dissipated. And at the same time, financial markets had crashed and financial institutions were no longer doing well. People were really depressed. People weren't getting paid. People were getting laid off. It was just such a terrible environment. And I just thought to myself, eh. <laughs> a perfect Peace terrible out. storm. Yes. So you hit some of these, I'm going to call them boredom triggers then. You had exhausted that learning curve. Yeah. And at the exact same time, there's external factors going on. So all of that aligned in a really anticlimactic way, or maybe very climactic. I don't know, whichever way you want to look at it. So what happened next? So this is when I decided to take a sabbatical and give my spirit some time to soar. And I moved to Paris, and I enrolled in photography school. But I guess I should back up a little bit and say that my process for getting there was probably interesting. So that's exactly some of the questions I had about like pre left bank. How mm-hmm. did, how, what took place to get to left bank? Yeah, a lot, a lot of Actually, that's like a really interesting thing to focus on, I think, because it's these transitional moments where you're building a strategy out of ambiguity that are real learning lessons, Yeah, obviously for your guests, but also like for me, it was those moments that really like teach me a lot about myself and what works and what doesn't. So, well, I left my job. I was living in London. I actually was so excited that I bought a bike and I would like literally ride around London singing out loud, like singing Oasis really, really loud <laughs> at my bike. So You're just like pedaling like, around like today I, is going to be the day. I'll we'll never throw it back to you. Find out. Find and then. Yes, that's exactly It literally made me sick, the anxiety, um, the stress that I was under. Jared's job was obviously not a fit for him. Decided that maybe, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks and a young family doesn't necessarily go together. So I knew I needed help and I knew I wasn't going to be able to do this by myself. So Jared came to us looking for help and found that in one-on-one coaching. You can let life happen to you or you can happen to your life. As we worked with him, Jared and his wife really had to figure out what they really actually wanted in their life. When we started to do the questionnaire and write everything down, we started our pros and cons with where we wanted to live and who we wanted to be around and all that stuff. All those things added up over time into final discussions of, okay, well, this is what I can do, and this is what I can't do, and this is what I need to do, and this is how much travel I'll do in my job, this is how much time I will spend, you know, during the week, and these are the concessions that I can make, what are the concessions that you can make, and all that. It kind of just all just piled on to the end. Jared did a phenomenal job, not just designing the life and career that he actually wanted, but then taking the steps to make that happen. 
I ended up with my dream job. Congratulations to Jared on finding work that he loves and fits his family's needs at the same time. If you want help to figure out what work fits you and find that fulfilling career that lights you up and gives you purpose, find out how coaching can help you step-by-step. Go to happenyourcareer.com and click on coaching to apply or pause this and text my coach to 44222. That's text my coach to 44222. We'll send over the application quicker than two shakes of a lamb's tail, or however that goes. I also bought a ton of plants because it was springtime and I just decided to like plant the whole garden. So I did all these like really excitable freedom type acts. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I kind of like started chilling out and I would go to the cafe, which is where I usually find my center and can kind of like clear my mind with a couple of blank sheets of paper or my journal and really start creating a framework for myself of what I want my future to look like. And ultimately, I wrote down all of the passions that I had that I was interested in potentially pursuing throughout my life, but primarily while I was quote unquote trapped in banking. And I thought, okay, now what am I going to do? Like effectively I let my brain go wild all over the page. And after I kind of went through this process of flaring and ideating and really just like mind mapping and pulling all the ideas out, I started thinking through what some limiting factors could be. So for example, financially, what could I afford to do? Geographically, where could I viably be in terms of like visas or safety or weather, different factors like that. And also I thought about what if I actually want to pursue this as a real career? What kind of money could I make this way? Like what kind of career options are there? I mean, is it very competitive? What's the likelihood of me succeeding effectively? It did a whole kind of scan of those potential factors. And through that process, I filtered down my options into a short list. And so the two major items that were on my short list, one was photography and one was interior design, because like always really been into interior design and architecture and like renovating old properties and turning them into new stuff. And At that point, I kind of changed and pivoted my strategy. So I went from a very strategic framework to a more tactical framework. So at that point, I looked up different organizations that could teach me about interior design and photography and so that I could learn a little bit more tangibly as to what those careers would be like. So for example, I remember going to a one of these days, an interior design school in London where, you know, they bring in prospective new students and they take you around and they teach you about the curriculum and everything. And just immersing myself in that free event gave me so much information about what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it. Much like that hospital analogy, just literally being there for a day gave me so much information to work with. And so ultimately I figured out I wanted to go into photography and I knew I had to create a portfolio. So I invested a lot of time going through my own portfolio, choosing the different photographs, editing them, presenting myself effectively, like marketing myself for this prospective new career. It's very similar to what you do in a career change, I suppose, but it's more presenting yourself as a student. And then I applied to a bunch of different organizations, different universities that I thought were interesting. And at that point, you've just got to let the universe deliver to you what it's going to deliver to you. So you have like a vision, you put yourself out there, you like, you go for it, and then you just see what the universe delivers. And 
I got into the school in Paris. I got into a couple of different places, but I got into the school in Paris and I just knew it was right. Like, first of all, it was a one year program rather than a two year program. So it could go through at an accelerated pace, which I knew I, I liked. And also, I obviously, I had this dream of, you know, eating croissants and frolicking around Paris with like a cute French boyfriend at a beret, et cetera. So I had to fulfill that dream. You know, I didn't have a choice, really. I also had that dream. It was mostly <laughs> the croissant side. but <laughs> Is it as delicious as it was for me? <laughs> There's a place that one of my friends turned me on to and he's like, oh, it is the best croissant in Paris. And we tried a whole bunch of, like, we ate a lot of croissants when we were over there. And I'm like, how could it be any better than this? And we went to this place and oh my goodness, I, I just had, I had no idea. I have been shown. It's called Bleu Sucre. Have you heard of it? Now everybody has. Oh, um, I shouldn't have given that I, away. Now next time I go there is being- wondering, is it all, do they also have ice cream? Did not have ice cream. No. Okay, so it's not that place. Not no. the same place. There's probably more than one place that has some rather beyond Delicious. amazing croissants, but this, oh my goodness, this was absolutely amazing. We ended up actually writing a blog post about it too over on familypassport.co, but yeah, oh my goodness, I just totally gave it away. Now everybody's going to show up. <laughs> okay, at the risk of- Anyhow, carry on. So French boyfriend, croissants, and oh, the chocolate croissants. Those was what got me. Oh, yeah. Those are my favorite. Plus, I could go on and on, but I used to love the hot chocolate oh, and also tartatin, which is basically like apple cake. It's like upside down apple cake. Oh, my God. Delightful. I literally tried it in every single place I could find <laughs> all across Paris. And you have to. You're obligated. Yes, it really was a dream. So what's really interesting here and listening to how you progress through this is what I think I heard you say is at first you kind of went through a dumping process where you dumped everything out, like shook everything out after you got mm -hmm. done planting, after you got done singing Wonderwall and riding the bike around, you like shook everything out and then you filtered and then it sounded like you even filtered again and then began prioritizing and matching up some potential options that really worked well with what had filtered out. And then I think I heard in there that you went and tested it as well to make sure that, okay, these are options on a piece of paper, but it actually does work. And then you started acting on it. Is that a pretty fair summary? That's an excellent summary. Cool. And I love that because it is difficult to go from all of this really fuzzy up in the air type stuff all the way over to, hey, I am actually moving to Paris and engaging in photography school. There's a lot that has to go on to get from one side, from point A to point Z. So yeah. super, super cool. So then you ended up moving to Paris. And what happened from there that ultimately took you into a different direction beyond that? Yeah. So a few things. One was, you know, I always thought that I was a decent photographer, but once I arrived in a school where everyone was skilled, I realized that I was one of the least skilled out of the whole bunch. And that's not to say that I couldn't learn, but when I saw some of the natural raw talent that some of these people had, I was just totally blown away. And also some of the students had kind of saved up for years to come to this one particular school and they just had so much vision and focus that this was what they wanted in their career that when I was actually there and experiencing it, 
And I realized they didn't have the same level of dedication that they did. I realized that I wasn't going to be able to compete at the level that they would. Just because, not that I wasn't passionate, but I wasn't passionate enough. And I really had to kind of get myself into that situation to benchmark myself in person. I don't think it would have been possible for me to realize from the outside. So I'm really glad that I went and did it for a couple of reasons. One is because I always wondered whether I was really meant to be a creative. I think in the end of the day, I'm a multi-potentialite. Yeah. And I have a lot of interests and I'm like relatively good at a lot of things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I should be pursuing them professionally. And another thing I learned is that when I turned my hobby into something that I needed to do for assignments that I was getting graded on, oftentimes I was getting crappy grades on, negative feedback about my work. I mean, not only negative feedback, because, well, I guess I should say that in in France, the educational system emphasizes criticism rather than encouragement. It's a totally different system. But it really took a lot of the joy out of my hobby. And actually, since I left photography school, I mean, I take pictures of my iPhone for Instagram and stuff like that. But I pretty much stopped taking photographs because it really took the joy out of it for me. And then I guess the last thing to say is I remember toward the end of the first semester, I asked one of my teachers if he would have get coffee with me. And we went to like a little cafe. And I remember asking him about job prospects, working with fashion photographers, because effectively, in order to kind of get on the map, the traditional path was to apprentice with a photographer. And what I learned from that conversation, which is such like good use of my five euros of buying him a coffee and a pan au chocolat, <laughs> was there were only a handful of photographers in Paris that would be willing to take an apprentice. A lot of them were really picky about who they took on, i.e. like either they wouldn't take on anyone that wasn't French or you had to have XYZ criteria, which I didn't have. And that even if you got this extremely coveted role, you basically wouldn't be paid almost ever. And that would be like the best you could do in your career would be the apprentice to XYZ. And I just thought to myself, oh my God, seriously, is not viable. Not only is it so hard to get these roles, but I'm at the bottom of my class and it's taking the joy out of this for me. And I just thought to myself, yeah, like I felt the anxiety building in my body And again, it kind of comes back to this whole self-awareness thing. But sometimes when you feel nervous about something, it's because your intuition is telling you something. And so I realized that I was meant to go through that process. But in order to realize that becoming a working artist was not for me and that I was meant to go to Paris and have that amazing experience, but I was also meant to move on from it and incorporate creativity into my work in a different way. That's so interesting for a variety of reasons. I think about Well, something we've talked a few times about on the podcast here in terms of we have so many people that email us questions about really wanting to leverage their past experience and really want to combine all of these experiences together. And I think the main driver for that is we don't want to feel like we've wasted portions of our life. But I think so many of us feel like we have to incorporate those experiences in a way to where we're still using that stuff to this day, rather than take the learnings from those experiences where you could have said, Hey, now I've got all of this photography skill sets. And even though I was towards the bottom of my class, I'm still way better than the average photographer. How do I jam photography into my life? And how do I mesh that together with these other things? And maybe that's right for some people, but I'd say for the average person, 
a lot more times it's what you ended up doing with taking the learnings that came from that experience and then moving on and not being caught up in the sunk cost. Yeah, that was the term I was gonna going to use too. The other analogy that you could use is kind of like cooking. So let's say you have experience making French cuisine and then you get burned out of French cuisine. So you're like, all right, I am going to start cooking Mexican food. And then you get like pretty good at Mexican. Does that mean that your next thing needs to be like a combination of French and Mexican and the next thing? Like that would be, that would be way too many different. That would be confusion and confusion. What it would be. Confusion. Like way too many ingredients. Like, can you imagine how bizarre that would be? I just feel like, you know, I'm actually reading this great book. It's called Essentialism. Have you heard of it? Greg McEwen, right? Yes, yes. It's such an amazing book. And the idea is that like simplicity should be the aim. You get in simplifying, you can actually maximize the quality of what you're choosing and maximize like your happiness in life effectively. Mm -hmm. So just because you know how to cook French food and you know how to cook Mexican food doesn't mean you should necessarily take all of those ingredients or some of those ingredients. Maybe you just decide, okay, I'm amazing at croissants and I am going to pursue croissants because I love to cook croissants. Everybody loves my croissants and I can make a bleep ton of money (laughs) (laughs) selling my croissants and I have so much fun doing it. Therefore, I'm going to be the croissant expert. And so I think it kind of like depends on your situation. Like some people love simplifying and some people love having a lot of different things going on at the same time. I think it's sort of like really it depends on you and what your preference is. I think that perspective you're raising about whether prior careers should be considered or not. I think it's a very personal thing and it requires a lot of reflection in terms of what you as an individual want and how you operate best. It's almost like finding your version of simple. Yeah. Necessarily mean that everything has to be jammed together. If your version of simple is that you get to be exposed to a variety of things throughout your day or week, because that's how you roll and that's how it makes your life good, then that's awesome. Then you should be doing confusion Mexican slash. I don't know. I lost wherever we left off and whatever kind of food we were putting in there. (laughs) French slash. I don't know. Some kind of crazy fusion. But if your version of simple isn't that, then I think that's okay. And leaving, taking the learnings and leaving everything else behind is actually okay. And I love that. This might sound a weird thing to people who are listening to it, but I love that you have ditched photography since then. Hmm. Because I think that shows a lot of restraint on your part. Often when I get to have conversations, it's super cool that you're on our team and everything like that. So I get to have you know, more than just one conversation with you every once in a while. But when I get to have these conversations, one of the things as an interviewer I'm always looking for is where are the points where they've made decisions other people wouldn't have made? Because that's often where some of the learnings are for HTYCers that are listening. And I think that that's one of those things that most people wouldn't do. Most people wouldn't just leave photography behind at that point and be okay with it. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you. Thanks for reflecting that back to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the great advantages I had from going through this process of studying photography was that I kind of got it out of my system. And sometimes when you have a bee in your bonnet for so long, just the act of getting it out of your system can allow you to move on. 
release the bee. <laughs> I feel hashtag. That, yeah, the bee. Hashtag. That might be <laughs> coming soon to another, I don't know, that's going to find its way into a H2IC training or something. Here's what you need to do. You need to release the bee. Yes. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So now, though, I think is super cool is you get to take all these learnings that you've had and be able to help other people do the exact same thing and facilitate them experiencing these learnings that they already have, but putting them together in a way to where they can actually do something with it, much like you've done in the past. And now that's what you get to do, which is pretty cool. It's so, so, so fulfilling. It's so great. I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing as it turns out. Weird, huh? And (laughs) certainly practices what we preach. But I would say let's apply a little bit of that now. You want to switch over and see if we can tackle a few questions here? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. I'll tell you what. I'll read off one of these here and then we, we can try and talk through it together as well. So this one actually comes from Abby and this is an email we got and I'll share a little bit of of her situation and then yeah, we'll dive into it. So Abby says right now I'm struggling a little bit with choosing between full-time careers using analytics and she throws out a couple of different examples, statistician, HR, business, work like there's lots of places for analytics, right? Organizational development, consulting. I've loved statistics for a long time and now working on a PhD in organizational communication with concentrations in leadership, organizational development, quantitative methods. But I realized I do not want to go into academia. And she realized this last year. She says, I love teaching people statistics and quantitative methods, but simply can't handle the amount of social interaction teaching tends to require, although I'm okay with what I want teaching. Also, I don't feel a lot of satisfaction when it comes to academic publishing and don't have the patience to endure the many months and years the process can take. So she goes on to say, my struggle with choosing a career in analytics is there's so much technology out in the world for analytics right now, now that I feel overwhelmed and somewhat intimidated by it. I know I could learn how to use at least one or two of those software packages, but knowing where to start is difficult to determine. So she's interested in trying to figure this out. And she goes on to say her long-term goal is she actually does a little bit of freelance consulting but ultimately she wants to gain more experience and probably do this more on a full-time basis as well in the future. But knowing that's the long-term goal and knowing a little bit about what she's facing, where do you think she should start and how do you think she should be thinking about this? And I'll throw out there really quick that we don't know all the details with Abby, so we probably can't give perfect advice here, but we can help her understand you know, where and how to start thinking about this. What do you think? Yeah. I guess I'll start. And then Scott, if you want to jump in and add your thoughts, I'd love to jam. So I think there are two primary things I'd start with. One is that she decided she doesn't want to go into academics. And the second piece is that she wants to pursue analytics. I feel like it's worthwhile, perhaps, analyzing a bit more why she doesn't want to do academics. So some of it seems to be perhaps because she is more introverted and a bit impatient. So, you know, taking away some learnings from that would be useful in terms of figuring out her next step, what might suit her. So going with that saying, basically taking the idea that she's most likely introverted and impatient. I feel like, 
you can start to build a profile of the type of role that might suit her. And there are a lot of different ways that you can do some more reflection and personal analysis to flesh out what your primary attributes are, including your signature strengths, for example. But ultimately, I think figuring out what type of role would suit her will really help direct her next steps. Because let's say she's introverted, and she is relatively impatient. Well, let's say coding, learning how to code could be one option, right? Because it's very fast moving. It's very introverted. But if she's going to learn how to code, then that will determine her next steps in terms of like either the type of schooling she gets or the types of jobs that she might look into. I think all of that will be dictated by the types of roles that she realizes would make sense for her. So that's how I would approach it. I'd start with the role and then apply it to the analytics arena to kind of narrow the field of choices. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that building on that, when you're saying the types of roles, the things that jump into my mind are she already does have a decent amount of information as far as some of the things that she's enjoying here. But Abby, I would encourage you to push a little bit deeper in terms of figuring out why you enjoy some of those things. And those are going to give you clues as well. And then also just like you'd said, Avery, being able to understand what specifically is it about, about the educational environment beyond just that social interaction. And then I would try and try and figure out, okay, so if, if you don't like the social interaction, what are the specific pieces that you do enjoy or do like or do gravitate to, particularly with the information you have? Because that's going to give you some of the clues as to making up that, well, like you said, that profile of the ideal role or profile of that ideal opportunity might look like for you. And then that's where, much like you did when you started looking at photography school and a number of other things, that's where you can start to play matchmaker. And one of the other things that I heard here is that, hey, the end in mind type goal here for you is you want to do things that are giving you more experience and more widespread reputation before you ultimately are running your own thing, your own freelance consulting full-time business, what I heard from that. So if that's the case, I would push you to clarify what experiences you feel like you need in order to make that happen, or what reputation you feel like you want to develop. And I would say it's probably not going to be as much about reputation as it, uh, relationships. Reputation is fairly easy to manufacture, provided you have the right relationships. Anything else that you'd add? Just to build on that last point. Yeah, I think reputation comes with the quality of your work. So if you figure out what you're good at and role would suit you, then ultimately you'll produce good work and you'll attract business and build a reputation organically. So in terms of where to start, kind of sum it up really quick here. I would say start with those questions in terms of what do you want in terms of the end goal? What experience do you specifically want? And then how does that line up with what you already know and particularly dig a little bit further into the why you don't want to be in academia, and then also at the same time, uncover the whys of what it is that you are enjoying, because you already have some good information there. But let's see if we can press it back into why do you enjoy that stuff, or what specifically, what is the context in which you enjoy it right now? Cool. Yeah. I think that actually rolls right into the next one too. And I would say almost the same type of thing for, because Courtney had said, Hey, I'm struggling to find a career path that complements my professional and educational background in the environmental field while also 
providing me something more creative, less technical, and definitely more collaborative. And what's interesting about here is that it kind of mentions a little bit to what we talked about before, struggling to find something that complements my professional education background, which may or may not actually be useful to you. It might be limiting for you to trying to be forcing it into something that, uh, that complements that previous experience. That's a good point. Confusion. Mm-hmm. We have this company over here called Corn Fusion, so that's all I can think. Popcorn that's flavored popcorn, Corn mm-hmm. Fusion. And now I have Mexican food in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ruin that for you. Yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate it, Avery. <laughs> but I would say some of the same things, though, in terms of, hey, let's break apart the areas where you actually are enjoying so that you're not just... Courtney, I would encourage you not to get stuck on that past career path and past professional and education background and instead focus on, hey, what are there pieces that you enjoyed about the past professional experience and then also education? That way, you can say, should I carry some of that stuff forward? And if is things that you enjoyed, also things that you happen to be great at, then yeah, absolutely carry it forward. However, if it's not, then don't get stuck on trying to cram yourself into something that just happens to align with that. Yeah. And I guess building on that, if you actually find that there are components to your, I guess, your professional educational background that do compel you, you can make a list of the pieces that are creative, less technical, and more collaborative, since those are the factors that you have highlighted you want to to do more of. And just sort of take some time to study them and analyze whether there are patterns there, um, any trends you see, any insights you can get about yourself and the type of work that you want to be doing going forward. And then in parallel, you can, you can sort of take some time to investigate some other passions that you have outside of your educational or professional background. And, um, Again, start looking for different areas that allow you to be creative, less technical, and more collaborative. And as you kind of start building a list, or it could be a spreadsheet or just on a piece of paper doing a mind map of the different elements that either you're currently doing or you could do that are creative, less technical, and more collaborative, suddenly ideas will start to percolate. If you give your your brain some time to kind of noodle over that information and connect some dots, you may start coming up with interesting new perspective pathways. Have you started down the path of finding a new career? Or maybe you're having trouble identifying what your next career chapter is. Well, we want you to be able to Use your strengths in order to be able to make that happen. So here's what I would suggest. Get our guide to using your signature strengths to get hired. That takes you step-by-step through this just by pausing this and texting my strengths to 44222. All you have to do is pause this and text my strengths, that's M-Y, strengths, plural, to 44222. And we'll send it right over. All right, check it out now. Hey, I so very much appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. 
we had another, yet another five-star review. We still have 100% five-star reviews on iTunes. I so very much appreciate that. We've had even more people go over and take the time to leave us a rating and review. That feedback is incredibly meaningful to the entire team that puts this on. Plus, at the same time, it makes it so that more people can find the podcast. And ultimately, we get to help more people do what it is that they really love to be doing for their life and work. Pretty cool, right? So thanks so much to Mike, who Mike gave us five stars. He said, awesome content. Scott gets it. Very much appreciate that, Mike. And would invite you to... If you've loved the show, go ahead and leave us an honest review. We would love to hear the feedback and get even more people the work that they really, truly want to be doing. We've got even more for you coming up next week on Happen to Your Career. Take a listen to what we've got in store for you right now. Anytime you find yourself saying, well, only if then, or only when this happens, then I can do X, Y, Z, that I always, always stop and question it. It may end up to be true somehow, but most of the time there are ways around it or there are ways to start a smaller version of that from right where you are. So anytime we're putting a limitation like, well, but I just don't think that's possible. Why listen just because society or some concept that we have that's outdated says, oh, you can't do that or you can't earn a living doing that. All right, all that and more next week. We'll see you on HTYC. Until then, have a great one. I am out. Adios.